this is your host, Vernon Terrell with Grace Ministries International, and it's time for Walking Free. And we're so glad that you have joined us for this episode of Walking Free. And uh, I thought I'd start out first. We have an awesome guest that I'm going to introduce in just a moment. And before I do that, uh, some of you know, and if you've listened to the podcast, that I've been dating this awesome lady named Michelle Morris, who is also a counselor, discipleship counselor, and uh, our uh, director for strategy and growth at Grace Ministries uh, International in Marietta, Georgia. And I've been dating her, and this last weekend, she's in Oklahoma uh, right now, uh, just in Choctaw, Oklahoma, and so I devised a scheme after I got the ring. You know where this is going, right? Okay, I got the ring, and of course, I lied and told her that, oh, because we, you know, we've been talking about rings. I said, oh, it's not even going to be here to the end of the month. And so I called one of the pastors at the church she's attending in uh, Choctaw and said, hey, I got a ring. It's burning a hole through my pocket, and uh, I need your help to create a diversion surprise so I can propose to this lady. And they did. They, got, they, they were on top of it. Gretchen, man, you're awesome. And uh, so Gretchen just went to town got folks together from the church, had a luncheon, invited everybody, including Michelle, to this luncheon. I told her my plane landed at 11 o'clock. Luncheon's going to start at 12. Timing is critical. Plane lands early. Awesome. And I get a text because Gretchen knows it landed early. She goes, hold, drive slow. Got it. So I drive slow, do detours, uh, and I get to the house and everyone's outside, beautiful weather, and she says, good to go. She was making introductions, and then she says, and we have one more introduction, and I come walking up. Michelle was seated, and then she sees me, and she's like, oh, no, and uh, or oh, yes, but then I got there, and yes, I proposed, and she did say yes, so I thought I'd just let all of you guys know that. It was awesome. And uh, so today, this is a podcast that uh, I've been uh, waiting for. Uh, James Rimmer and I have talked about it, and we had to reschedule it, and his schedule, and my schedule. And uh, James, uh, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm going to ask you if you would give us just a little bit of background about yourself. Well, uh, my name's James. I'm 59 years old, and um, I now have a full-time ministry um, working with a, a drug addiction program in LaGrange called A New Direction, and we house uh, about 25 men, and uh, we teach about freedom from addiction, and um, I'm an associate pastor at Grace Covenant Worship Center. Um, been in jail ministry for quite a while, and I just love that. I don't, I don't know where else mm. I, I, I could be 
But jail ministry is is a fantastic ministry. It's, well, you know, Vernon, you kind of got a captive audience. So um, you, you do. Know, there's it's a win win situation. <laughs> and 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 you know, some people when they hear jail ministry, they think, oh, you know, there's no way that I could do that, a mm. jail ministry. And isn't it really, like you said, it's one of the most exciting ministries. You've got people, like you said, a captive audience, but many are hungry to hear the word. Absolutely. Uh, what I said that same thing when um, a friend of mine in the church years ago uh, said, why don't you come and share your testimony uh, at jail ministry with me? And uh, I thought, oh, my goodness, these guys, they wouldn't want to hear it. But you know what? They right. They were just so hungry uh, to hear from the outside and to hear from someone that's been through the same thing that they've been through. And, and you know what, James, that's exactly what we want to hear is uh, and I've uh, you and I have spoken together at Christian families today, an awesome ministry in uh, Noonan, Georgia, just dynamic. Love those guys. Um, we've spoken together. I've heard your testimony, and I really think that this audience needs to hear it. If you had to put a, a, a title on it, let's say you had to say, you know, here's the title of this, of my testimony, of my talk. How would you title it? Hmm. I'm catching you right, and this is wow. unscripted, folks. This is not scripted. We're just having a conversation. If you had to put a title, so I'm catching them cold. That's the way I like to do it. I um, see you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, give me say it doesn't it doesn't have to be perfect. What? How would you? How would you title your own testimony? I would say um, God's unconditional love transformed me. Hmm. So give us the backstory. What is the backstory, and uh, where did it all begin? Well, uh, you know, I can remember, uh, you know, I, I received Jesus Christ when I was 12 years old. Mm. But uh, my, story, my story started even before then. Um, my father, I had a great Christian family, went to church, was raised in the church. Uh, my father was a good Christian man, and he was a great provider. But uh, he, um, when it came to uh, raising a sensitive son, which, which is what I was, uh, he was not equipped to do that. Um, he was raised as a rough and tumble son and literally had to fight his way uh, through high school. He had five older brothers and an and a oldest big sister. She could whoop them all, he said. <laughs> but, but you know he uh he never received uh intimate love from his father he was never hugged or or uh, told that you know by his father that he loved him mm. and so my my father was not equipped to to really do that for me and i i sensed that as you know as a as a young boy as uh rejection um, that I wasn't good enough. I, I was not going to be the son that he wanted me to be. I was a disappointment. Um, and so uh, as I, I carried that into, um, you know, middle school, especially, uh, I began to get picked on and bullied, um, called, you know, plenty of names. 
and I felt like an outsider in that regard, um, rejected uh, by my peers and judged and really just isolated. Would, would you say that in the high school, what was high school really um, challenging? Did it affect your grades? How did it affect you when you're, all that's going on? I mean, not just your grades, but all of life. What, what was really going on? Well, I was I was seeking love and approval in, in in all the wrong places, and in in high school that seemed to be you know uh, the emphasis was more on my performance in school. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't excel athletically; I just wasn't a sports type. But I was great in music, and uh, I excelled in music. And uh, I, you know, I kept good grades in high school, but. Uh, the whole time, you know, I, I, I knew I was doing good things, but I still had that void within me that that said that you, you'll never measure up. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, so I, I uh, you know, when I uh, graduated and, and started my first year in college, I, I began to drink alcohol and um, I smoked pot for the first time. And, uh, you know, I, I, f- I felt like a part of a group, uh, 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 you know, that accepted me socially. And, and the drugs and alcohol m- made me feel that way and also brought out this, um, you know, uh, this e- extrovert <laughs> that I mm. was not normally. And so I was easily uh, uh, befriended. I made friends very easy. Um but still, it was not. Uh, it was. It was not something that that gave me uh, acceptance. It didn't satisfy. I was still missing something, and you know, even though I, you know, I was saved and and I knew that that I belonged to Jesus, I was not being discipled properly in in uh, uh, knowing the full benefit of receiving uh, Jesus Christ as my Savior. What was it like? Be, what? How would you say you were discipled? What was the emphasis back then for you, or was there just no teaching? No, no, there was definitely teaching, but it was a performance-based mm. uh, faith that you know you you needed to, you know, that we were all sinful and that we were not worthy um, of God's love, and that we needed to, uh, you know, cry out for forgiveness and, you know, be. Um, you know, be uh, be in a state of grief over your sin, and, and then and then God might forgive you, and you 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 may be saved. But it was that worm theology. We're just a dirty worm, right? And, and crawl under the dirt because you're really just you're basically you're worthless, and uh, whether you're even as a Christian, you're just you're just unworthy, and you're a dirty worm, and you're just fortunate. God might even turn your way. Absolutely. You know, I I felt like if I didn't perform right, if I didn't say the right prayer, or if I wasn't uh, efficient in asking for forgiveness of every single sin, that um, there was there was a big chance that I would not go to heaven. And so when you feel condemned, Vernon, um, it's it's almost like, um, well, why bother? You know, I, I'm going to go to hell anyway. I'm never going to measure up. I was caught on a carousel of, you know, 
of just trapped in that cycle of, of sin and failure, being condemned and feeling shameful and dirty, asking for forgiveness and repenting. And then, boom, it, that cycle happened all over again. So I just felt like, wow, this is just a cycle of, of failure and crying out. And, and, and so I, I, I wasn't fulfilled. And I felt that even, you know, God loved me, that he still could potentially reject me and leave me. Mm. Um, when uh, one day me and the, the, the boys in the band, we, we found a stack of uh, porno underneath the bleachers at school. And we began to look at those. And uh, looking at those images uh, really changed me. Um, uh, you know, they say that the windows are the, I mean, the eyes are the windows of the soul, right? Well, it just, it seemed like that those images attached to me and I began to obsess over what I was seeing. And I would sneak back and, and look at those magazines by myself. Now, and how old again, how old were you again at this point? I was probably 13. 13, yeah. 13. And, um, you know, you're, you know, the hormones are beginning to rage anyway. And, and so out of that, I felt even more of a failure and even felt like I was not saved at all because I was having these thoughts. And, um, so, uh, I couldn't process all of that. I, I, I didn't feel like I was safe enough to, 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 to share that feeling with anyone at church or, or, or even within my own family. Um, my father being in the military, he was a very, he was a very harsh disciplinarian. Um, and if you didn't perform the way he wanted to, you, you really had to pay for it. Um, let's get let, one quick second. I, and I know, um, I don't mean to interrupt you, but just to camp out on something for a moment, um, when you said you really couldn't tell anybody church wasn't a safe place in a family really wasn't a safe place to talk about what you were feeling, experiencing what you did because you were um, fearful of the condemnation and the judgment and all of that. And I think that's important that uh, we provide the church provides a safe place for folks to just be messy at times. And, and if it's not the church, where else is it going to be? Hopefully your family, but if not there, my goodness, the church ought to be a safe place. Churches, you know, need to be a safe place for, for everyone to go. And, you know, it's important that we, we allow the Holy spirit to do the changing. Um, but, you know, it is so key that you receive Jesus Christ because that's when you receive real life. Um, I, I wasn't aware of it, of real life, but it was it was inside of me, even at 12 years old. But I didn't know how to operate from that. Um, I was still trapped in my behavior and uh, approval and feeling um, less than. But it was, you know, around 13 that I began to... to um, look at pornography and those images changed me in a way. And I, I admired the male feature, the male, uh, the, the men in those images more than I did the females. And it wasn't really, um, you know, there were so many things going on in my, in my mind. Uh, the devil will use 
anything uh, against you, and especially thoughts. And he began to um, accuse me and even condemn me even further that with the bullying I got at school and the perceived rejection that I got from my father, I really felt like, you know, there's something wrong with me. I, I am not normal. I am not, I'm not fitting in. I feel like I'm on the outside. Uh, I feel, I don't feel like I'm like any other boys. Um, mm. And so uh, with the bullying I received, I, I just began to uh, think, well, maybe I am homosexual. Maybe I am gay. And later on in high school, I began to have uh, those kinds of experiences. Um, and uh, is that in, in, so you're saying basically acting out yeah. at that time? Yes. Yes. You, you know, back then there wasn't, you know, bars and things like that for gay people to go to. You had to, you know, meet in public places. And and so those types of experiences were very secretive, clandestine uh, and uh, anonymous sex was a, a way for me to, I guess, release uh, the, the, the frustrations that I had. And um, I was, you know, I was trapped in that cycle and just carried on. Uh, you know, when I met other gay people, we all clung to one another because whenever you feel rejected, you go to where you feel loved. And right. gay people are very receiving and accepting and, and loving even. Um, Do you think that's still happening uh, in high schools uh, today? I, I don't, I don't think so. You know, things today are so much more open. Um, you know, it's talked about in school openly in classrooms. Um, kids. So the clandestine meetings, maybe not so much, but the actual struggles, if you will, of that homosexual type of uh, identity that people will latch on because they're feeling a certain way. Uh, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, that's still very much present. I, I do. I believe, yeah, that, that part is because mm-hmm. everybody is searching for, you know, their identity, who they are. And it's especially at that age. And so if, if, if a group of people say, oh, you're one of us, you're born that way. Don't worry about it. You know, come and be our friends. And, and, uh, you know, uh, gay communities, uh, uh, actually they create their own, uh, kind of subculture world. Um, uh, you have gay neighborhoods, gay people will get, you know, and so there's, there's this, uh, come and join us. And so I thought, wow, yes, finally, I, I, I'm, I'm accepted by a group of people and I seem to be, a, a, you know, like-minded and I, I, I want to fit in. And so I thought I've, what I'm trying to say is I began to believe that I was born that way. And when that happened, I embraced the gay culture head on. That sounds like uh, you embraced, you embraced what we might call, and this is not to be offensive to anyone who's struggling, but what we would call you embraced the lie that the enemy was putting in you because you felt these feelings, you had this attraction, and you said, I, first person, I must be 
gay and you accepted that. That's right. That's right, Vernon. Um, mm. When I went to college, um, you know, I really came out and I was doing more drugs, um, cocaine, um, ecstasy and other drugs. Um, and, and just sort of spiraling downward into this secret double life. And eventually my parents found out and, uh, I, they withdrew me from school and, uh, you know, they said, you're going you're gonna to move to Georgia and straighten out your life, uh, get you away from all of your friends. And I was so angry and so hurt um, by, by, by this. I, you know, it was like rejection all over again. And I, I found, uh, you know, that drugs uh, was a way of me trying to hide that pain. And so I was ready to move to Georgia, and that's what I did. So I was probably 23, and so I moved to uh, Georgia in 1983, and uh, you know it worked out for a little while. But then I met some met someone, and um, I started a relationship with a man, and tried to make my way in, into college and pay my way in so that I could finish my nursing degree. But um, the second year of school. Uh, he broke off the relationship with me and I was so insecure and angry at that rejection as well. I, I had a nervous breakdown and had to withdraw from school failing. Um, it was that point that I decided to move to Atlanta and I mm. moved there in 86 and I just went right into Midtown and, um, you know, I was just head force in, in the drug and party culture there and uh, was trying to find uh, love and acceptance in all the wrong places. And at the same time, I was hearing from the Lord, you know, the Holy Spirit was telling me, this is not who you are. You're not going to be happy in this lifestyle. This is not my plan for your life. And my, you know, my, my mother prayed for me my whole life. You know, she just kept praying, Lord, let me live long enough to see my son delivered from drugs and alcohol and from this lifestyle. Uh, she was struggling with her own um, heart issues. She had cardiomyopathy, which back then they really didn't know what to do other than bed rest. And um, she had gone to a faith healing service and got healed. Wow. And uh, and so, th you know, that that was an impact in my life, you know, to actually be a witness to God's healing power was that was a very um, uh, important thing. I little little did I know at that time that I, I was going to seek God for my own healing. And um, so as I uh, continued to party and even sell drugs to support my habit. Um, I went to a party one, one weekend in Florida and came back. I had a very sore throat and I, I went in thinking I had strep throat, but I was diagnosed with HIV and it was a very aggressive type of HIV. And I lost my job, lost my vehicle, lost my apartment. And wow. my sister was still here in LaGrange 
and she kept trying to get me to move back, but I, I didn't want to come to a small town like LaGrange, uh, and I wasn't willing to change. So um, years went by. Uh, there were so many um, uh, close calls with accidental overdoses and um you know, just sketchy situations that I, I really sh shouldn't have lived through. And, um, but, but God, he finally, um, you know, he began to really deal in my heart and I was, I was becoming uh, ready to receive it. I lost a, a very close friend uh, to, to an overdose. And I really felt that, that uh, the devil was closing in on me and, and I, I felt that even death was 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 around the corner. I, I really didn't know how or when, but I just felt this impending doom. And I, um, you know, uh, my my mother wrote me letters, a lot of letters, and I never threw those letters away. And but most of them, I I never opened until I reached the very very bottom. Now, I knew those letters didn't have any more checks in them because I was really looking looking for money to be sent from from my parents. But when they mm -hmm. they realized um, that they couldn't help me there, um, my mom kept writing and she kept writing to me about my covenant with Jesus Christ. And um, she taught me that, you know, a covenant with Christ is that, you know, he gave me his his righteous white robe in exchange for my filthy, sinful rags. And he bore those on the cross for me so that I could have his righteousness. And I really didn't know the full measure of what that meant. But in that hour of desperation, Vernon, I, I began to open those letters. And I had, I had just put them in my nightstand and slammed the drawer, you know. But Many of them just unopened, just pop them in. Most of them unopened, but mm. I, I began to put those in chrono chronological order um, uh, according to the date. And I, I, I read every single one of those letters in, in, in one sitting. There must have been 20. And uh, I just wept. Wow. Um, and mm. and uh, I said, Lord, I, I, I'm so sick of, of this life. I'm, I, I'm just, I'm through it, please help me. And it was at that point that my heart began to yearn for a better life. And thanks to my sister, she eventually uh, let eventually I let her move me from Atlanta to um, Lagrange. And I was so so sick. I, I didn't know if I was going to die of AIDS or or or, or if the drug man was going to beat me up or if I was going to end up in prison. But when I when I came to Lagrange and rededicated my life, she she helped me get back into the church that she was going to. Uh, it's called was called Courts of Praise, and she played the piano and um, and so I didn't want to go. Uh, you know, I love the Lord, but I didn't want those people to look at me funny and judge me. I, mm -hmm. I looked like an AIDS patient. You know, um, uh, I'd been doing crystal meth. You know for. 20 years at that point. I moved back to LaGrange in 2015. Moved back to LaGrange in 2015. So I was in Atlanta for quite a while. And 
the church that I, I, I started going to, I thought they're judging me. They're going to, they're going to pull their children away from me. They're not going to want me mm. to sit by them. Um, and I even thought that the pastor may even uh, preach uh, sermons down to me about how sinful homosexuality is. Uh, but none of that happened. And in fact, the, the very first time I walked in the door, people were hugging my neck. Uh, they knew who I was, and I really, I really didn't make the connection. But it, it turned out that that uh, my my sister in that church had been praying for me for years, and they had never even seen me. But when I walked in the door, they're like, "Oh, you're James Rimmer. You're Debbie Smith's brother. Oh, we've been praying for you." And I was like, "What in the world is going on?" And so the church really brought me in with love and that changed me that that gave me a desire to come back and uh, in doing that and in worship like i said the holy spirit began to change my desires from the inside out wow that's years probably of praying for you yes and, it, was. it was and they got to see the real james rimmer walk through those doors. Yeah, you know, my, my mother prayed for me for, for so, so many years. And I, I told you her prayer was, Lord, let me live long enough so that I can see my son delivered from his his drug issues, his drug addiction, and his, his lifestyle. And uh, 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 a couple of years after I gave my life to Christ, and he, he did deliver me from drugs and alcohol uh, and even cigarettes, um, my mother had a hard time believing it. Um, and she kept asking my sister, is this for real? Or is he, is he pu pu putting up a front? I, is this real? And my sister, you know, just kept having to say, yeah, this is really happening. God is changing James. And, um, and so when my mother passed, she passed two years to the very day that I quit drugs and alcohol and turned my life back to Christ. The very day of my sobriety, he, he, he brought her home. Uh, and I, I thought that was a powerful confirmation. And, um, you know, there may be some mothers out there that are, are listening to this. And I, I just want to tell you, don't stop praying for your kids. Don't stop praying for your family. Because he, he honors these prayers. And he hears. And don't stop writing the letters or the emails, right. whatever, telling your son or your daughter how much you love them and how much God loves them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it's amazing. And, and, and so, you know, little by little, God was, was building my life into something greater, into something that I could never have done on my own. And uh, with the help of my sister, um, she helped me get my own apartment, helped me get on the, the worship team at church. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was powerful. Uh, I was beginning to, to be healed. My, my, I was not having any more dreams or nightmares. I, I had no more cravings for drugs and alcohol. And, uh, uh like I said, it, it's about six months down the line. I, I gave up cigarettes and, uh, uh I've been, uh, 15 years, uh, addiction-free. Wow, incredible. And out of that lifestyle, uh, as far as my health, Vernon, I, 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 I have just, just 
good a health as most normal people or, or, or people who are not HIV. But I take I take medicine to uh, manage uh, that illness, and um, I have no depression. I have I have no uh, you know I, I I hardly get sick at all, and. Uh, and I've seen you, and yeah. I can <laughs> validate that, that you are a picture of health, the joy of the Lord. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so God redeems what the, what, what the devil meant to, you know, to, it, it, he redeems what the devil took, and even more does he add. Um, and you're right, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I, I learned from my mother that, you know, God gives us, uh, the strengths to persevere and to push on and and not doing it begrudgingly, but to do it with joy. And um, I, I just love it that uh, he's here for me and he took my loneliness from me. And, uh, you know, I am I, I'm not alone. You know, I know who I am in Christ and that he set me free. Uh, and um, whom the Lord. How, how important is it? to understand um, this idea and something, of course, we teach uh, and we hold fast to at Grace Ministries. How important is this idea of our identity in Christ to your own transformation and our forgiveness of sin and and God's acceptance of me? how important is that in this transformation? Uh, it's vital. Uh, we we can't uh, we can't move past uh, in life if we don't know who we are. You know, when you know who you are, Vernon, you know what you can do, and when you when you know what family you belong to, you know what you have. And, and if you don't know that, you're just kind of like a, a, a sail just drifting endlessly. Mm. Um, and I was, I was trying to find who I was. I was trying to find love and acceptance and value, but I was finding it in everything uh, other than the Lord. But when I, I went to this church and began to understand it and, and receive uh, the truth that, you know, that I, I am God's child. I, I'm not a homosexual. I wasn't created that way. I was created to be a child of God. And, and I, I don't have to look for love because according to Ephesians 5.1, I am dearly loved unconditionally. And even when I mess up, God still loves me. And all I have to do is to turn to him and say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. And I, I, I turn from what I've done. I turn from that, that wrongful mindset and that thinking. And Lord, I claim your victory as your son. And he's always there to, to take us back. He never rejects us. And, uh, you know, he, he tells me that I'm even blameless. Mm. And uh, I think that's in Ephesians 1.4. So are you saying that, in fact, you, you said it, uh, there's this idea that, yes, you're either, um, and especially around all the, the gender talk and gender confusion is, uh, are you said that you rejected the lie that you were born homosexual. That's tough. And it gets to this real question. Um, how do we help those who are struggling with 
um, this homosexual lifestyle and what should we avoid doing that's more damaging and what can we do to help them in that journey to freedom? You, you know, a, a lot of people ask me from time to time, what causes homosexuality? And is it pornography? Is it um, sex at an early age? Is it sex abuse? Is it not having a father in the family? Is it an overbearing mother? Or or, or what is it? And, and I, you know, or are they born that way? And, uh, you know, I would have to say it's, it's, it's probably a little of all of that. But science has proven that there is there's no genetic evidence to prove that we're born uh, a homosexual. Now, they've got genes identified to say that you're blue eyed, blonde haired, whether you're white or black. There are identified genes for that. But, you know, it all came out of my thoughts and came from what the enemy uh, told me, which was a lie. And if I didn't have the truth at that time to um, to counteract the lies, I, 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 that's all I had to believe was the lie. Um, I love it that today the church has the option of speaking truth in love, but we should never speak harshly about another person uh, speaking truth and love is the biggest thing uh, I, uh, and worship I think anyone who wants to change the first the first step in change is receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior mm. just telling him yes I give my life to you and I want you to make it what you want it to be and Father I trust you with my life and I thank you for your forgiveness. And when you do that, you belong to him. And you've become a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he even gives you a new heart with new desires. Not fleshy desires, but his desires. Mm -hmm. And so it really, you really have to learn how to live out of those desires. And, you know, some yeah. will say, James, that, oh, well, as you know, we are we we are sexual beings. Okay, we're sexual in our hum, in our humanness. We all have this sexual desires, and I believe yes, those desires can be corrupted. They can be misaligned. There's all kind in our humanness. A lot of things can happen, and some of that could yeah. be culture. Some could be, as you said, the in the messages we uh, have heard and we've received as true, and that can affect. Uh, our desires, our humanity uh, is fallen. Absolutely. Although there is no direct gene, I totally, I've never seen one either gene study that says, oh, here's the homosexual or heterosexual gene flip. Uh, it's not there. Uh, but do we live in a fallen world and fallen bodies? Absolutely. But the idea that, yes, we're sexual beings, but we are, as believers, new creations. Let's focus on our new creation in Christ, on our That's brand right. new identity of righteousness and holiness and acceptance and forgiven. Uh, let's focus on that and then walk righteous and walk holy. We're walking out of that new identity, not doing the behaviors to get more righteous, but knowing we are righteous and that's that's what we do. And that is... Um, where it starts from the inside out, 
not from the outside back in. Uh, let me ask you to give some final thoughts uh, to those who might be struggling, uh, to those who might have a loved one who is struggling. What are some final thoughts you could give us? Well, Vernon, I, I, I didn't realize that I was a slave. I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to searching. I was a, a slave to so many uh, fleshy things. I was looking for the next best experience, and that never fulfilled me. But uh, I, once I once I learned that I was a permanent member of the family of God, uh, I think it's uh, John eight thirty five that says a slave is not a permanent mem- member of the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Mm-hmm. And 36 says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so I had to learn how to walk in the freedom that Jesus died to provide for me. And t- surrendering to him. Uh, and, 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 you know, we have to decide, are we going to be a friend to the Lord? Or are we going to be a friend to the world? And I know where my love comes from, and that's from him. In him alone. And uh, I, I, I want to speak to people who may feel lonely. Um, but if you have Jesus, you are not alone. So your feelings don't dictate the truth. God is with you every step of the way. You know, um, and likewise, we don't have to allow our freedoms dictate who we are. Because I know my feelings have lied to me before. Hmm. But now I know the truth. And now that my thoughts have changed for the truth, I'm walking in freedom and in joy. I'm enjoying life and life more abundant. And that is what we want for each person listening. We want you to experience the joy of walking free. And I love that verse that James just Quoted the two verses uh, in John 8 and uh, 35 says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. And if you've received Jesus Christ uh, for your forgiveness in life, then you're in the son. You are his son and you're in the son. And you remain forever. And the son has set you free. You're free. You don't may not realize it. You're not you may not be experiencing it, but you've got it. You're free. And if the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. Uh, and that's what we want you to experience. If you need some help, well Grace Ministries is here to help. Uh, if you're in the Noonan area, Christian families today, awesome ministry. If you're in the grains, pop by where James is. What's your church again, uh, James? Uh, it's Grace Covenant Worship Center. Um, if anyone in the Lagrange area wants to meet or wants to pray, uh, uh, pray with me, um, you can call me on my cell phone mm. at seven zero six three eight six six three seven seven. That's seven zero six three eight six six three. And what a kind offer, James. And thank you so much for sharing uh, your testimony. And uh, thank you for just uh, walking that journey, experiencing God's 
gift of freedom that we're just rejoicing with you uh, on that. And uh, thank you for all the lives that you are touching. Everyone, remember, you may be talking a good game. Ask God, what is your next step to experience the freedom that he's already provided? What is he telling you? uh, What is your next step? Maybe to contact GMI, maybe to call James, maybe to step out and say, you know, God, I am free. Accept your, uh, your forgiveness. Accept the freedom that he's given you. What is the next step for you? And so it may be time for you to stop talking and start walking. You've been listening to Walking Free, a production of Grace Ministries International in Marietta, Georgia. For more information, go to our website at gmint.org. That's G-M-I-N-T dot O-R-G.